right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 255, and with that number, there's only one person who I can give a shout out to, and that would be Abby Wambach. She earned 255 caps in her international career, making her debut for the USA in 2001 against Germany and playing her final match 14 years later against China. She scored a world record 184 goals in those 255 games. And there's only one American and probably only one player who's got a higher goal to game rate than Abby Wambach. And that is April Heinrichs. So speaking of national team players, my first chat in this episode is with Angela Hughes, former USA midfielder. She was a teammate of Abby's. She played on the 2003 and 2007 Women's World Cup teams, as well as the 2004-2008 Olympic teams. And she is now calling NWSL games on ESPN. She also did some work for the Women's World Cup. So we had a great chat about all of the U.S. and the women's national team that's broken in the last week. Jill Ellis departing a general manager coming up, uh, the friendlies coming up, and of course, a little NWSL chatter as well. And speaking of NWSL, my second chat was with Jacob Cristobal of Sounder at Heart. We talked about the Reigns' first season being in Tacoma at Cheney Stadium, the Women's World Cup bump, the Pino effect, um, and all the new names <laughs> that have cropped up on their roster due to injury. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Angela Hughes, former U.S. national team player and woman of many other accomplishments, which I don't have time to list. Um, But Angela, I wanted to get you on the podcast because it's such an interesting time in the history of the U.S. women's national team right now. And and I wanted to get your thoughts. Um, But first, thanks for thanks for taking the time to chat. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. So you got to call games during the Women's World Cup, uh, unfortunately not from France, you know, but you got to call games during the Women's World Cup. Tell me about that experience first. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think anytime you get to be a part of just an incredible event like the World Cup is, is truly an honor. And um, yes, I was L.A. based, but uh, still could feel the energy that was surrounding the tournament. And for me, it was personally just a, a wonderful experience. I'm always honored to, uh, to be a part of it and to stay connected in that way. And, um, you know, it was just exciting. But from the very first game to um, the last and the final, I mean, it was just, you know, one of those uh, types of tournaments that you just tune into every single match that you can and the excitement was building and the energy and, I mean, everything surrounding, you know, the U.S. team as well just was spectacular. So um, tremendous personal experience. And I think just as a fan uh, was was amazing to see um, and not just the U.S. team, but but all the teams and just the, the level that really we are at in the women's game on an international level. I think for me, that was the most exciting part of it all, just to see the competitiveness uh, every team coming out uh, and uh, the enthusiasm surrounding this world event. Oh, and that was going to be my next question was how, how have you seen the game evolve compared to when you played in the women's world cup in 2003 and 2007? 
I, I mean, I think it's actually leaps and bounds. And I, I'm just thinking about, you know, if I was actually in shape, um, <laughs> being back out in that field and what it would be like. And I, I just think that we've shifted to such a professional look when you look at the, the entire scope and makeup of what is a woman's soccer player. Um, the way that these women go out and approach the game, the resources that uh, are available now, and uh, I think the the technical and tactical IQ of of these players has grown tremendously. I think even with really within a short amount of time, um, and so to see that executed at the the highest level um, was was pretty f- remarkable to watch, and and just to have that personal understanding of what it was like to compete at that level and to see that it's just, it's just taken off from, from here. And I think we're just going to continue to see the growth uh, because of some of these other countries and federations and clubs internationally being able to now support more and put more funding into their women's programs. And I, and I think that's just going to make the sport better. It's going to make players better. And we're going to see, uh, you know, this level just continually rise uh, in, in future years. And with the announcement that FIFA is going to fast track expansion, uh, that'll be 32 teams for 2023, which to me, it's a really exciting decision. It's also kind of mm-hmm. a frustrating decision where it's like, we're less than four years out. You won't have a host <laughs> until next spring. <laughs> and you've just, asked, you've just asked everybody to rebid on, on a big event. <laughs> Um, yeah. but let's talk, let's talk the positive side. What does expansion from 24 teams to 32 teams do for the game in general? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I obviously, I hear your frustrations and I'm sure, um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's not going to be fun to go back through that process again, but, but looking on the bright side, this is such a, a needed, uh, move, I think by FIFA. And again, we're not going to be able to elevate the game and really create more competitive environments and create more opportunities until something like this happens. So I think first and foremost, this is um, a necessary step, but it's a great part of the evolution of what we're seeing in the game. Will there be some hiccups? Obviously, you know, starting with with this rebid process, yes, but um, potentially also just looking at the level of, of teams when you expand, you know, we will probably have teams in there that um, are not going to be as competitive, but it's going to push these teams, these countries to grow, to evolve, to start more development at early, earlier ages uh, for their youth programs. And, and that's, that's how this all gets better and, and how we really move forward and grow the game and grow the sport. So um, while there, there will probably be some, um, some learning curves at the beginning and, uh, we will probably see that actually reflected in the World Cup itself. Uh, this is a wonderful, fantastic move and something that I think, you know, as as a former player, but also as a soccer fan, uh, really excited to see what happens and where this can really take us to. One of the things that, that makes me really happy about this decision is that it means uh, for the round of 16 that you have to finish second in your group. You know, mm-hmm. so so that you know that there's really no one advancing on on three points, and and right. that was that was the beauty too of when the men's 
increased from 24 teams. The last time it was 24 was the the World Cup held in the U.S. And then in 98, you know, went to, went to 32 teams. It just, I think it makes that knockout round so yeah. amazingly competitive and that you can't, you know, you can't play for a tie. You can't scoot through. It, it means that final 16 is like the best possible 16. And then the expansion to yeah. 32, you know, what I'm sure FIFA is hoping that it's going to do. And we all hope that it's going to do. It makes more federations interested in investing because, you know, Hey, there's four slots open for qualifying instead of three, mm-hmm. or there's now, you know, five instead of three and a half. Um, you know, I, I, I think of CONCACAF, you know, and that, that, that would have been one more team, you know, that, yep. and, and especially Europe where, you know, I would have to think that the the bulk of those eight new slots <laughs> would would go to Europe, and it and it makes sense when you look at the teams that made uh, UEFA qualifying playoffs and didn't ultimately yeah. make the World Cup: Switzerland, Belgium, Denmark. Denmark having been the you know the runner up at the Euro twenty seventeen, it's like yeah, all of them could have slotted in there. Of course, you never want a total right. Euro, you know, women's <laughs> women's World Cup, but. Yeah, I was I was excited to hear that and and a little surprised too, but I'm wondering if enough of the criticism is is getting to some of the the higher ups at FIFA or like, okay, we'll just do this and it'll make us look good. You know, and right, and, right. and we'll, we'll think about the follow through later. Um, right. And Julie Foudy mentioned it on the the US Ireland broadcast that she's like, that's not a lot of time and 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 I love that she pointed out. She's like, Russia had 8 years you know, we knew 12 years in advance for Qatar, you know, like they need to get this moving. So hopefully, you know, the next thing that comes is the announcement for 2027 will be done before the 2023 World Cup actually happens. But of course, that's, you know, right. that's that, that's a lot all at once. Um, yeah. and then, well, but I mean, yeah, like, oh, of course, this is still goes back to the, the issue of of being an afterthought, you know, with, yes. with the women's side of the game. So, I yes. mean, we still have a lot of issues to work out, work through, but, you know, at least this step is the right step that we need to be making. It might not have been the right timing, but um, at least we're starting to see some of the right things happening. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, we had the big news last week. Um, you know, we knew Jill Ellis's coaching contract was up for – not not renewal so much as there was a, a two-way option for her in U.S. soccer to continue on through the 2020 Olympics. And she she chose to step down, go out on a high, leave with those two trophies and say, I'm good. <laughs> which, which, which yeah. I think it's pretty smart and, and, and pretty brave, um, especially when you think that, you know, there is no other uh, – women's coaching job on this planet that pays what U.S. soccer pays, you know, by the, in the same breath, of course, you can say that she wasn't paid anywhere near what Jurgen Klinsmann was, but you can also say there's no other women's coaching job that pays as much as what she's been paid. So I'm guessing she's going to be looking at, I, you know, I want to chart new territory, you know, Uh, of course, after taking some time with the family, but, but what did you think when you heard the news that she was stepping down? Um, I, I mean, I think, I think just because there was so much going on in, in the game right now, um, 
you know, even looking at the NWSL, just getting back on national television, you know, we're, I feel like we're still kind of in celebration mode with the U.S. team, even though they uh, had finished up with their post-World Cup celebrations and then going into now the victory tour. Um, so I think it wasn't necessarily something that I was thinking specifically of, but when it happened, you know, I think I just paused for a moment and I was like, yeah, this, this actually does make sense to me um, because of what you did mention. And it is challenging. She, she pretty much has accomplished and checked off everything that she really needs to with this team and as a coach. And I mean, she's been with the Federation for decades now and uh, has definitely put her time in, you know, all the way from the youth level to um, with, as an assistant coach at, at the full team level. Uh, and, you know, now as a head coach and, and being able to win back-to-back World Cups. So, um, I mean, I, I remember kind of going through a very similar experience myself as a player and feeling like after 2008, we won the Olympics um, in that year. I pretty much had my, my best year uh, as a player in my career. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I feel like I've accomplished everything that I want to. And um, you know, wanting that feeling of going out on top. Um, and so I, I feel like this is probably very similar to Jill um, and her experience. And um, and not just that, but I think this is, uh, people talk about the culture of the U.S. women's soccer team so much and what it's like to be a part of that. And and to a large extent, it's, it's kind of indescribable uh, unless you've gone through that experience yourself. And I think it's very similar with being the coach of this team as well. There are so many challenges uh, and management issues that Jill has had to take on and be a part of that probably no other coach in sports has ever had to deal with just because of um, the issues that do surround this team. And, you know, there are a lot of different personalities. And so it's not just burn your head and just, okay, I'm going to coach this team, but it's managing a whole lot of different things all at once. And that takes a toll. Um, and she's, I think, handled it quite well in terms of knowing that, um, you know, maybe she's not favored all the time um, and, and wanted to be in that position. Uh, but, but that happens when you're a coach and she's been able to come through uh, being extremely successful and, and probably one of the most successful coaches that this program will see. So, um, you know, I think for her to make this this decision at this time seems actually quite right, um, given that she probably does want to have some personal time and be able to spend with her family. And, you know, I think it just, a lot of it just takes a toll on you. And so to be able to go out on top doing something that no other um, woman soccer coach or soccer coach has done, I think it's just, uh, it's it's tremendous for her. Well, and I think about, you know, a friend of mine said when they heard the the news, they're like, then she, I mean, it's just one more year. And I was like, but that's probably, <laughs> probably 200 days on the road. Yeah. You know, when you think about all of the, you know, qualifying and all the tournaments and preps and camps and, you know, it's like, that's, that's, that's a big chunk of time. And when you think she spent the last five years <laughs> doing it, doing right. it year round. And, and I like that, you know, we're, we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of coverage uh, of her stepping down and kind of a look back at the, the last five years and that you look at the two women's World Cup wins and they're very 
different accomplishments. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like 2015, you know, the year before she was handed this roster and said, you know, this is your roster. You know, if you win, we'll talk, you know, right. um, as opposed to 2019, she got to bring in players from NWSL and, and younger players and, and try them out and, you know, we saw Mal Pugh come up through, you know, 2016 and, and skip college. Um, so it was much more uh, a roster that she crafted over several years. And of course, you know, we saw the experimentation and of course it's, it's frustrating sometimes to see the losses that come with that experimentation or even or sometimes they're, they're even draws, but it's like, it, it's really all about, um, you know, the, the women's world cup, um, right. you know, all, everything else could be sacrificed for, for that trophy. And, and it's funny cause you see now like the, the joy from the players, the coaches, the fans, everything. Yeah. Everything else before it is now washed away. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's, that's the benefit of it. Right. But I think it's, that's the grind that Jill Ellis has had to go through knowing that she wasn't going to be, you know, held in, in high esteem from fans, from players, from, you know, a variety of different sources while she was going through those, those trials and tribulations. And I, and I think to some extent, it's a little bit of an unfair uh, expectation to hold. Um, and that, you know, I, I believe she actually mentioned it in, in the press conference um, that she just recently had after her announcement, but, you know, to, to be on one of the winningest teams uh, in the history of women's soccer and to have the expectation that you must always win. And, and really anything less than that, no matter what game, what, what tournament, you know, what the game is, you still have that expectation. Um, it, it's such a challenge to then try to test things out and try new lineups and formations and, and really try to tinker with things in the short term to have that long term and end goal of success of winning the world cup. So uh, it's, you know, I wouldn't want to have that job, you know, and I think it's, um, it, it is a very, not just challenging, but just draining um, position to be in when you have to manage all of that. And, and it's not um, something where I guess I would allude it to maybe like having to run a marathon every day. It's, it's high intensity every single day. And so at some point um, you're going to have to have that time to just kind of, you know, rebound versus looking at the next year, you have to gear back up again after coming off a a wonderful world cup victory and then try to win the Olympics too. So, um, you know, I I think for her to step away at this point is, um, you know, it's, it's all those factors combined into one. And then now it means that some new coach is going to have to step into the World Cup champion <laughs> coach position um, with less than a year and do qualifying, which is January, February. And then yep. the, the Olympics is, is next July. And we haven't had such a quick turnaround for that since, you know, at the end of 2007, they let go of Greg Ryan and they hired Pia Sundaga and you were part of the player pool at that time. So what would, what would your advice be to a new coach coming in saying, Hey, you know, it's a tough turnaround, but you can do it because, you know, you guys in Pia Sundaga did it. You turned around, got to the Olympics in August, 2008 and won, even with 
Abby Wambach having a broken leg. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, the sport all on. <laughs> yeah. So what, you know, what advice would you give that, that new coach? Well, your the advice I think is your players are the best in the world. I mean, they've proven that uh, time and time again. And I think you're starting with probably the best case scenario in the shortest period of time. So I think just being able to have the confidence that, you know, you're, your personnel know what it takes to get it done. Um, and, you know, I think that the challenge really is for any new coach coming in is she or he probably wants to bring her own or his own style to the team and, and to the game um, in terms of how they really want to coach the team. So I think it's trying to balance what's already there and what's good and what's working um, and not necessarily change up too many different things, uh, but just really try to improve on that foundation, that culture, that chemistry that's already in existence. And, you know, if there are other players in the pool that can can have other looks, and I think that's the time to do it, but kind of within the given foundation that's already been set. So, um, you know, it's, again, I think this the, the coach of this team is – one of the most unique uh, opportunities that any sports coach can have. I think there are great challenges, but obviously great rewards as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see who is going to end up being that head coach just because. <laughs> yeah, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, to me, it doesn't look like Tony Gustafson is, um, you know, interested having, you know, he stepped down too, even though he's been an assistant for a long time and there's a lot of great names to throw out there. And I don't even think it's worth, you know, discussing them um, because, you know, it's really all going to come down to who that general manager is. And for the first time, we're going to have a general manager of the U S women's national team. Um, and, and of course, I, I'm assuming that person will be hired in, in, in the next few weeks and, and it will be their responsibility to to hire that coach. So we're we're at this place where there's going to be so much change, you know, in mm-hmm. these next few months. Obviously, Jill is going to coach the last four victory tour matches, but then the November dates, uh, which won't count as the victory tour, which means that whoever the coach is can call up whomever they want. Um we could see a really interesting slate of players called up. Um, and then of course they'll jump into qualifying for CONCACAF for the, for the Olympics in, into January. So yeah, I, I think we all just need to get a lot of popcorn and sit down and watch the <laughs> U.S. women's national team movie that's going to play out over, yeah. over the and, next six months. <laughs> right. And have, and have some patience too. I think, you know, obviously the, the expectation is you got to come in there and make a, a statement and, you know, you, the expectation is you're going to win the, the Olympics and you're going to qualify obviously before that. So, you know, there might need to be some tinkering even kind of going through that process. So I think, you know, always just trying to have that patience and that belief that, um, that in the end all will be good. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm a little bit, uh, I like uh, to be a little positive on this, but but I, I do think it's it's also having that understanding as well through the process. Yeah, I mean, it, we could call it the Jill Ellis cliche that you have to trust the process. But I but I think it's true for you know almost any of our U.S. national team coaches that 
you know, you have to mix things up and try things out, especially in the year, the years where there's less, you know, less, less risk to take. So, right. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is, uh, NWSL you're, you're on the ESPN team for calling the NWSL games. So talk about kind of jumping into that straight from the women's world cup. Yeah, just, I mean, it's really, I'm just super excited because, um, this is, we, we need to keep seeing more women's soccer and, you know, to have access to it and to be able to see it on a national broadcast. Uh, it's, it's where this belongs. And um, so I'm, I'm really happy that uh, the deal got worked out, that ESPN is, is now covering the rest of this NWSL season. Um, and I think what's even kind of the, the larger statement and story be, behind it is that, um, you know, there are so many phenomenal players and stories in this league apart from even the international players and the U.S. players. Um, and so, um, you know, I think just being able to see how awesome these women are and how hard they work, and they are doing it for the pure passion and joy of the game and of the sport because, you know, we are not at the point where these salaries are um, good enough, you know, to really support a, a lifestyle of, being able to be a professional soccer player for, for many years if you're not, you know, a part of the U.S. team and, and have a different type of contract structure. So right. um, it's just phenomenal to see how many um, more stories that we're being able to, to share and really tell um, through this, this national broadcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad the, the games are back on ESPN, of course, you know, or just back on TV, really, well, for the very selfish reason of, you know, I get to do the research for you guys. Um, yeah, <laughs> we appreciate that too. <laughs> <laughs> but it also means that, you know, around the Victory Tour matches, um, late August, early September, and then early October, you've got these other games on ESPN. So any Victory Tour match on ESPN, they'll, they will be promoting as well you know and then those last victory tour matches are just a few weeks before the playoffs so there's there's a nice synergy among among all of that so we can kind of keep that momentum going and then from there it's it's really you know just a couple months to to qualify and so one of the things that i like about what well let's say one of the few things that i like about having the olympics just a year after uh, the women's world cup is that you can keep that momentum going. I think it is kind of a grind on, on the players. And, and as we've seen, it makes it tough to do qualifying, but it's, it's nice that you've got that high from the women's world cup. And, and as, as we see each cycle, more people are interested and then they don't have to wait another four years. You're like, Oh, Oh, there's going to be friendlies and qualifying and there's another tournament next summer. It's great. You know, <laughs> so just, <laughs> just keep people interested. Well, any last thoughts on NWSL, any, any players that have caught your eye as you've, you've started, um, you know, diving in deep to, uh, you know, analyze the teams. Uh, let's see. I mean, I think the biggest one right now is uh, is looking at Hamilton on North Carolina. Obviously, one of the um, one of the top seeded teams in the league right now. But you know, to be able to just kind of take hold of that opportunity when when the international players were in the World Cup, um, and also just watching her now as they're back still still performing and still being able to keep her level high, um, being 
you know, part of the NWSL player of the week, as well as um, uh, the team of the month. So, um, you know, I think just that's, that's definitely impressed me because obviously being able to do it when the players, the international players are away, but then also to kind of keep that level high and maintain it and contribute uh, when they've returned. And and that's just a lot of leadership. um, That's, uh, that's, being exemplified there and I mean there there are so many other players as well but um she's definitely stood out to me well Angela thank you so much for taking the time to chat today and you know keep up the great work on ESPN thank you appreciate it thanks for uh your help and all that you do for uh not just uh, ESPN and NWSL but women's soccer as well All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jacob Cristobal, reporter, soccer beat writer, contributor, however we want to say it, for Sounder at Heart. Of course, that means, Jacob, you cover Rain FC for NWSL. And I want to hear what it's like uh, post-World Cup up in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, especially where you, your team can claim the golden boot and golden ball winner from this World Cup. Yes, we can. Um, It's been pretty good. Obviously, that first game back after the World Cup, everybody was buying tickets and somehow, some way they managed to cram in 7,400 people in the Cheney Stadium. I'm still impressed by that number, given how uh, (laughs) the constraints of playing in a baseball stadium is. I don't know if they broke any fire code with having that many people, (laughs) but it yeah, it was pretty cool to see just the amount of support. Uh, people were buying tickets. Obviously, uh, right after the United States won the Nash, uh, the World Cup, but then a lot of it just on the momentum of you know Megan Rapinoe playing for Rain FC and just the way she played at World Cup and basically ascended to a new level of stardom that I think very few uh, entertainers, athletes, whatever public figures you know reach that level. But she's clearly on that level. And so obviously we all want to uh, see her play on the field, but right. it's something that, you know, I asked her after that Chicago game, you know, is there a timetable? She said, there's no timetable. Obviously she was hoping to return for Wednesday night's match against Portland Thorns, but she said that she wants to be able to return and contribute in the manner and the level that she, you know, she sets herself to, uh, to want to. So I totally understand from her point of view and also the team's point of view, just wanting to take as much time as she needs to recover physically and mentally from the Achilles injury, but also just, you know, everything that happened around the world cup and after the world cup. Well, and there's, there's never reason to rush back from an injury. And yeah. we've seen Vlatko Ananovsky be pretty cautious with that in general. I remember the end of the season last year, you know, I think he rested Allie long for the, the, mm-hmm. the final game of the regular season so that he could yeah. have her, you know, full health for, for the, for the playoff game. And, and what's great is that she was still there for that game. She, she seemed very participatory in pregame. I, you know, I wonder what it was like for those in, in stadium, but I also feel like it's great that rain got such a wonderful opponent for its first game back in terms of Chicago. Not only did you have Sam Kerr, but you had another four members from the U S national team, Mm-hmm. including a listener who's, you know, made a name for herself and Julia, yep. who's, who's, who's been a name, you know, so 
that, you know, what a star studded lineup. Um, so, so do you think, um, some of that bump will, will continue for the, the remaining home dates for the rain? I think so, because it was one thing to obviously see tickets being sold, uh, for that first game after the red stars and, uh, all credit to the Red Stars. They were the better team for that game. Obviously, that 4-0 scoreline tells a story that they were the better side. But yeah, beyond that game, we've seen that the remaining Rain FC home matches are pretty much nearing sellout territory. It helps that two of those uh, games involve your biggest rival in Portland Thorns with the regular season uh, home finale being against them. But yeah, all the other matches so far are nearing sellout territory and you know it, it part of it is the allure that oh not only can you possibly see Ali Long, Megan Rapino and all the other internationals that Rain FC have, but then look at the opponents that are coming uh the rest of the way. You have Utah Royals this Sunday, obviously chance to see Kristen Press, Orlando Pride uh, coming back here later this year to see Marta, Ashley Harris, Ali Krieger, Alex Morgan. And then Sky Blue, uh, anyway, I think the last game against Sky Blue is over in New Jersey. Sorry. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's Rain FC have lucked out on that sense. Like, yeah, you can market, uh, obviously, to hopefully see Rapino, Ali Long, Steph Cali, uh, Celia, Jody Taylor, and so forth. But they also get to sell, hey, we also are hosting Alex Morgan, Kristen Press. Yeah, it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> well, why do you think the the World Cup bump seems to be a little stronger this time around? I think one is the fact that a lot more people were watching just collectively, uh, whether they were diehard women's soccer fans or just casual soccer fans, but would always tune in because it's the World Cup. It feels like there were a lot more people engaged in it, watching it, uh, talking about it on social media. Um asking before the tournament started, like, hey, who are the women's soccer reporters that I should follow over the course of this tournament? And right. then, you know, I and so many other colleagues would, you know, had those um, threaded tweets where like, hey, these are the people you want to follow because they're knowledgeable about the game. They've been doing it for a long time. So I think just that whole signal boosting of everybody within the women's soccer community, especially amongst the media side, because you know, we are still a very much a small, but very tight knit community. And we're always, you know, helping out each other and signal, signal boosting each other's work. I think just a lot more people are became aware of that. And say, you see more people watching, you see more people uh, talking about it on social media. And then, you know, there's the announcements of the NWSL getting back on, uh, you know, regular TV, you know, through the ESPN networks, you know, the playoffs are going to be on ESPN, the championship game as well. And then more sponsors like Budweiser, you know, putting in, uh, putting in their money and doing it for multi years, uh, things like that. Nike re-upping, obviously, uh, their position to outfit all of the teams in the league. Right. So, so I think it's things do. like that, like we're seeing more sponsors get involved with it. Um, and I know that's something Ali Long said post-match after the Chicago games, like, you know, it's time to see people with money and with, you know, power to say, invest in this league because this is, you know, it's worth it. Yeah. And it's not a charity. It's a great business opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, think, I think Budweiser see, sees that. And, and I've, I've said this before. I was so excited to see a sponsor like that, that has been so involved in sports 
you know, them yeah. getting involved is, is a whole nother level. Kind of like you talked about Megan Rapino reaching a whole nother level. Yeah. Um, I still want to see, you know, like when we're watching the streams on Yahoo sports, there's no ads in any of those breaks. Yeah. And, and that, and that still blows my mind. You know, it's, it's like, there's still just like a lack of, um, I guess just a stronger league face, if that, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you think of the, you know, there's gotta be a couple hundred people working, you know, MLS uh, offices these days. Right. And Mm -hmm. what do we have? Five, six, maybe if we're lucky, you know, for NWSL and it's like, we're not going to make anything of any of these opportunities unless there's an investment there and not, not to get too sidetracked, but, you know, with, with all of the discussion of equal pay and gender pay discrimination, you know, I, I get a sense that one of the things the national team players are fighting for is that attention from us soccer. It's like, Hey, you, you helped build an MLS. Why, why aren't you helping you know, build NWSL. Why, why don't we have a, a commissioner? Why don't we have a commissioner who's vocal and present? And, you know, why don't we have expansion already for 2020? Because mm-hmm. we all know the league wants to get to 10 teams. You want to be at an even number of teams. It makes things so much easier. Yeah. So anyways, you know, but anyway, I'm get, kind of getting off topic, uh, but let's come back. Let's come back to your thoughts. Um, or, you know, Tacoma, the rain being in Tacoma at Cheney Stadium, um, second season under Vlatko Donoski. How do you mm. think things have been going? I think things have been going pretty well. Um, obviously, the the sudden relocation wasn't, could, you know, obviously could have been a lot executed better. I, and I'm sure if you were to talk to Bill Pridemore, yeah, he would have liked to not announce it back in January of this year, but maybe more like, you know, November, December ish, but you know, there was just a lot of things coming up where they just couldn't, uh, weren't able to decide in a more timely manner. And understandably, uh, you know, fans were like, well, how am I going to get down there? Or I guess I'm just going to make the best of what I can in terms of adjusting to whatever my commute was versus going to downtown Seattle. Now having to take maybe, you know, at minimum a 45 minute, uh, car ride down to Tacoma. But I think, People have made the best of, you know, adjusting on short notice, uh, really. And I think this coming off season, uh, they'll be a lot more prepared, obviously, hopefully with the scheduling be a lot better being that, you know, they're sharing this venue with another soccer team and also a minor league baseball team. But the fact that we only, they've only had two weeknight games, uh, it's pretty uh, impressive from that aspect because it could have, you know, easily become a situation like the inaugural season for rain fc uh where you know they had you know games on like a tuesday wednesday thursday and just sprinkled all over you know the calendar where it was just like next to impossible for anybody to get down there for a weeknight game so uh, uh from that point of view i think it's going pretty well uh on the field obviously uh it's been a talking point for a lot of people whenever they're on uh whenever it's a broadcast is how many people are on the season injury uh ending injury list um and i think at one point i was just joking with somebody like it feels like the injury list is a timeshare now for rain fc players like everybody <laughs> has 
has been signed up to it unbeknownst to their knowledge. Like, oh, it's my turn to be listed on either questionable or out. Or yeah, it's, it's like Survivor, like where they send you when you've been voted off the island and you just mm-hmm. get to hang out and rest until everybody else is voted off. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's just one of those things where like people have been asking, like, what is going on and, you know, up here. And honestly, it's just bad luck because three of those SEIs happened in game situations right. you know the other two were you know something that happened to training and unfortunately you know it's just they just decided best course of actions is to shut somebody down so they can get a full you know rest and rehabilitation and then in the case of taylor smith you know, she tore her acl in december while playing in australia so she was signed you know she was signed already as someone who was going to miss the season. Yeah. But, and yeah. The team, that's a, the long, team that's a that. long-term investment, Five Latko. Exactly. It's a long-term investment basically with her being ready for 2020. Right. Right. And I would, I would never question any move by Vladko and Anoski. So like, remember when he acquired her, I'm like, he's thinking, he's always thinking ahead. Yeah. Always got his notebook of players and the recent signings last week. I was like, damn, like, boom, Rebecca Quinn signs with Rain FC, Rosie White signs with Rain FC, Skylar Debris signs with Rain FC. Uh-huh. Like, wow, Blacko, you can't have them all. <laughs> and then the thing is, that came on a bye week. We were just, I was looking forward to just kind of having a nice, quiet week of like not really doing anything. Then in two, <laughs> In two straight days, oh, we're, we're signing all these players that were up promoting, you know, Stephanie Cox or an Addison Steiner to a full roster spot. It's like, right. it's a bye week. Can we not, can we rest? And then Elise Kellen Knight to Spirit to pick up Sammy Joe Prudhomme so that you mm-hmm. can have a backup keeper since Scout Watson had to move to the yeah. uh, season ending injury. And, and talk a little bit about Steph Cox. Uh, signing a contract because when when she signed us a uh, NTR contract, I think it was in late May. Yeah, I almost thought that okay, this is Blacko's sneaky way of meeting the minimum roster size without uh-huh. having to do anything. But clearly, that's not the case. Clearly, she wanted to play. She's played what at least four full nineties. Yeah, um, she still got it. But but talk about talk about it from the local perspective. Well, I remember reading that press release when I, I had to blink at least three times just to make sure that they were talking about that Steph Cox and not another Steph Cox. And then when I was reading the press release, I was reading Vodko's quote, and I can visualize his shocked face, you know, whenever Steph Cox uh, said, hey, coach, I think I still got something left in the tank and I want to play. And then, yeah, she still has plenty left in the tank. Um She's been out the past uh, couple of games now with a calf injury, uh, and she's been ruled out for Wednesday's match as well. But yeah, it's, I can only just imagine that you know when she was on the sidelines as an assistant coach, just watching them at training and all this stuff. I can just kind of see you know those competitive juices in her uh, bubbling up again. Like, hey, you know what? I think I I got something uh, left in the tank, and I can still hang with a lot of the uh, these young players that. Um, that they've been getting and yeah, lo and behold, you know, she makes a couple starts and can still send in those crosses from the left uh, flank. Like, you know, like it was 2014 and 2015 all over again. Well, and, and think about it. If, if you're a young Rebecca Quinn or a Rosie White or Skylar Debris or, you know, uh, one of last year's draft picks, like, like that's, 
that, that's huge to have a veteran, uh, you know, who's played what two world cups, one Olympics, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like, that's, that's so invaluable. So prop props to Steph Cox for, for getting yeah. back to the field. Yeah, so that's, last, something, that's something that's been uh, very fascinating about this arena. She squad. like, yes, they've, are losing all these uh, veteran mainstays to injuries, but then they're getting all these uh, younger players, and it's they've done they've done so over the course of this last off season, and also when Adonofsky took charge officially back in uh, the off season of 2017 to head into 2018, is that you still have your veteran core mainstays like Lauren Barnes, Megan Rapino, Jess Fishlock, but then you also have this rising. Uh, core of young talent like Megan Oyster, Darian Jenkins, Morgan Andrews, Celia, um, and Bethany I can only just imagine. Yeah, Bethany DeBalsa. I can just only imagine what sort of wealth of information those young players are getting from these right. veterans that have been here since the inaugural NWL season and are still performing at a very high level. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to watch uh, an Andonovsky season unfold. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, I, w- I would never doubt any decision made by Vladko Andonovsky. And I'm I'm really intrigued to see how the rest of the season plays out with these, you know, these 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 new signings. But, Jacob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about the rain and, and the World Cup bump and, and being at, at Cheney Stadium in Tacoma and uh Hope uh, you keep getting those sellout crowds. Thank you, Jen. Always fun talking with you. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. The remaining four Women's World Cup victory tour dates are set. The U.S. women will face Portugal twice on August 29th in Philadelphia and September 3rd in Minneapolis. And then they'll play South Korea twice in October to wrap up the tour. That'll be October 3rd in Charlotte and October 6th in Chicago. For more information or to buy tickets, check out ussoccer.com. And the second edition of the Women's International Champions Cup is coming to Cary, North Carolina next week, featuring North Carolina Courage, of course, Manchester City, Lyon, and Atletico Madrid. All the teams will have their full rosters this time around. Uh, It's much closer to the start of their seasons. And, of course, all four of these squads feature several Women's World Cup players. You can buy tickets on Ticketmaster for the doubleheader on Thursday, August 15th, as well as the doubleheader on Sunday, August 18th. And it does look like all four matches will stream live on ESPN+. And speaking of Cary, North Carolina, tickets for the 2019 NWSL Championship game are on sale now at nwslsoccer.com slash championship. That game will be played Sunday, October 27th. And it's very likely that I will organize a Woso Nerd event the day before, so stay tuned for details. If you haven't heard of it before, I have hosted in the past an event called Wosoco, which stands for Women's Soccer Conference. Um, but it's a little more fun than the word conference uh, would imply. And last but not least, be sure to check out my new Twitter feed, Woso Merch. Um, I'm posting at least one a day. Something you can buy related to Woso because, yeah, I mean, you got to put your money where your soccer is. And speaking of Woso merch, if you haven't checked it out, um, take a look at 
my Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac. It's available for sale at keepernotes.com. You can buy the print version, the PDF version, or the combo print and PDF version. It includes all the stats from 2013 through 2018, leaders, player registry, photos, coach registry, all kinds of good stuff. All right, that's it for this episode of The Mix Zone. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who's tweeted about this. And special thanks to all the new women's soccer fans who are listening out there. And as always, many thanks to Sean, who despite his many work uh, responsibilities, still manages to put this podcast together. But now she's anybody's girl.